0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I have been so encouraged to worship with you this morning. What a lovely church to be a part of. Thank you so much for encouraging me and my family this morning. It's just so good to be here. And uh, my husband and I actually go way back with your pastors, Pastor Matt and Trina, um, to our Bible College years in Peterborough. So we've known them for quite a long time. And actually, Pastor Trina and I. Are from the same hometown and same home church, so apparently really good things come from there. I don't know what else I can say about that. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know me, which I assume is probably most of you, I am part of the core teaching faculty at Master's College and Seminary in Peterborough, so I teach in the area of Bible and theology, and my ministry calling, you could say, has sort of led me to this place of helping prepare young leaders for vocational ministry. And, and just pursuing the call of God on their lives and what that looks like. and It's just a joy and a blessing in my life to be a part of that. So if there's anyone here who would, would like to hear a little bit more about MCS or our programs or the excellent experience that MCS facilitates, please come and talk to me. I'd love to hear from you, and I connect with you about that. So the topic that I've been asked to share about this morning is one that I think is important to all of us, and it's about women in ministry. And if I can be really transparent with you for a moment, and then I'll stop and I'll never be transparent again, Just for a moment. Just kidding. Um, It's a topic that I've sometimes wondered, why are we actually still talking about this? I don't know why this is still a topic of conversation. But it's important for a couple of reasons, and I'll just note two right now. One, because God has placed his call upon both his sons and his daughters yes. to do his work. And we have to be obedient to the call of God on our lives. And secondly, women sometimes get caught in this place of being content, perhaps, to play second fiddle. And sometimes it's okay. And sometimes it's where We end up just to be lulled into complacency and a walk with the Lord. And women are called to something deeper and something richer. Amen. So some of you will know that the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada has published a statement of the affirmation of equality of men and women in leadership. That was back in 2018. And it's not a new position. In fact, it's a historic Pentecostal position. But the leadership of the PAOC wanted to publicly reaffirm their position and honoring the place of women in leadership and ministry in the PAOC. So the term that they use for that is egalitarianism. POC is egalitarian, which just means equal. They believe that men and women are equal in ministry and in leadership. So the action of the POC to publicly reaffirm that I think is valuable. So today what I want to do, and hopefully you'll you'll, uh, track with me for a little bit, what I'd like to do is to talk about a broadly Pentecostal affirmation of women in ministry from four angles. I'm going to talk about a biblical angle, a theological angle, Historical angle and a practical angle. And I'm going to anchor the discussion in Romans chapter 16. So if you have a Bible with you, and I just have it here on my phone, I'm reading from Romans chapter 16. I'm going to read the first couple of verses, and I'm reading from the NASB. You can follow along in whatever you've got there. So it begins with this I commend you to our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church with statutory that you receive her in the Lord, in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever manner she may have need of you. For she herself has been a helper of many, and myself as well. Great Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also to all the churches of the Gentiles. And also greet the church that is in their house. Greet the Patenius, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, but who were great, who were in Christ before me. Can we pray together as we begin? Lord, we're so grateful to have this opportunity to gather together in your presence. Lord, we're so grateful for your word and that it is living and active and cuts right into our very hearts. And Lord, today I ask that you would make your word real to us, enliven in in our hearts, and enlighten us, Lord, to what you would have for us this morning in your name. Amen. So Paul wrote this letter to the Romans around the year 5780. So when we read the book of Romans, what we're getting is this really early snapshot of what was happening in the early Christian movement. And so what's perhaps most fascinating about this passage of scripture, you know, aside from the fact that we don't really talk about it very often, is that Paul mentions at least nine high-profile women in this point in time in church history. Now, I didn't read the whole passage. You can look at it later and see some others that are referenced there. And biblical scholars and historical scholars of church history look at this stuff, and they they reference these women with other ancient sources to determine who were these people, what were they doing, what were they all about, what did their ministry entail, and what kind of influence did they have in the early church. And so one of these early influential women was Phoebe in the port city of Corinth, Now, Corinth was this interesting little city on a narrow peninsula of land, and Phoebe comes from the western port of Corinth called Centria. So what's interesting is that Paul calls Phoebe a deacon, and he actually only uses this term for only five people in all of his writings. He uses it of himself, and of Phoebe, and three others. So this is pretty significant. So what we know about Phoebe is that she probably was not a converted Jew. Instead, she was likely a Gentile. She seems to be a business person of some sort, just based on what we know of her. And so when Paul was in Corinth, he writes his letter to the Romans, and it appears that Phoebe was traveling, potentially for business purposes, and she delivers Paul's letter to the Romans for him. So this tells us a couple of things. It tells us that she had a high degree of responsibility in the early church. And it's hardly insignificant that Paul mentions her as one of these really influential women or leaders in the early church. And so there are some people out there, perhaps you've heard of them, who like to argue that the early church was dominated entirely by men. That actually wasn't the case, and Romans 16 demonstrates that for us quite well. So when we talk about Phoebe, we're talking about a deacon. So the ministry of a deacon in the early church included tasks like leading and preaching and teaching. And so it was a ministry of oversight over the church body. Paul also designates Phoebe by a word called prostatus. So that's a Greek word. And you're like, I don't care we are Greek. It's okay. But it just means a benefactor. That's what the word is translated to. So in Roman society, and maybe some of you will know this and maybe this will be new to some of you, Roman society is unlike our typical Canadian society right now. Sometimes the problem is we read English scripture and we just interpret it kind of in the moment. But we have to be aware of what was happening at the time to interpret really well. So in Roman society, there was what was known as the patron-client society. And so this this really characterized Roman society. So there were the upper-class patrons of society and the lower-class clients. So a client was someone who owed something to the patron. And a patron, on the other hand, was a person with means and influence. And there were not a lot of patrons, but there were a lot of clients. And so the, the client kind of owes something to the patron. And so the clients generally, loyal to the patrons, and the patrons in turn sort of protect or offer some level of care to the client, but the client was always indebted to the patron. So you have to think about it in terms of a very hierarchical society where there were these people on top and everyone else on the bottom, it's like you're begging for scraps and you really want these people at the top to be able to help you. So why am I saying that? I'm saying this because Paul calls Phoebe a prostatus. So, this tells us that she was a benefactor to Paul. Paul was in debt to her in some way that could have been financially or otherwise. But it's well attested that a prostatus carries with it this idea of wealth and independence, which we're not sure exactly what that meant for Phoebe. But it's understood that Phoebe was a colleague and a co worker of Paul's but that Paul was potentially the client while Phoebe was the patron. And so perhaps I don't know this this group of people, I don't know this congregation or what station of life you all come from, what sorts of things you're involved in. But perhaps there are some Phoebe's in the room today. Women who perhaps work outside the scope of pastoral ministry, maybe ministry leaders or volunteers. Um, When you are offering yourself to the kingdom of God in any number of ways, as a deacon, as a leader, as a benefactor. And you know what? The church needs Phoebes. The church needs people like that who can serve the kingdom ministry from their station in life to fund the ministry, to lead the ministry in any number of ways. And so if that is God's calling for you in this season of your life, Give yourself to it wholeheartedly and with everything that you have. Perhaps there are business people here in this congregation or people who have resources to contribute to the work of the ministry. And I would just challenge each of us to pray and ask the Lord, what is it that we can give to the kingdom? Not everyone is called to serve as a pastor, but we are all called to serve the kingdom ministry. Amen? There's another name in this list in Romans chapter 16 that I want to draw your attention to, and it's Priscilla. So Priscilla appears not only here in Romans chapter 16, but she also appears in 1 Corinthians. She also appears in the book of Acts. She also appears in 2 Timothy, and she's always mentioned along with her husband, Aquila. So it's understood in Christian scholarship that Priscilla was sort of this important, well-traveled, influential missionary, church leader. Her work occasionally intersected with Paul's, and Priscilla and Aquila, or Prisca, um, as some versions would say, they worked together as co-laborers, and they were a ministry couple, much like you folks have here at Liberty. They were co-laborers together in the ministry, and their roles included things like preaching and teaching and leading a house church and all sorts of things. But Priscilla and Aquila were actually active in ministry before they met Paul in Corinth. And so it's actually interesting to note that in most of these references in Scripture, Priscilla's name occurs before Paul's, which tells us the authors of Scripture were trying to tell us something. She's typically listed first. She was likely the leader of. actually believe Priscilla was a presbyter due to her prominence. Some actually believe, and we can't really prove this, but some actually believe she may have been the anonymous author of the Hebrews. I'm not making a statement about that, but just to show you that she was held in high regard in the early church and in leadership. And so there's a bunch of other really influential women that we can talk about in Romans chapter 16. The very last one that I want to highlight for our purposes today is a woman by the name of Junia. Now, one of the really interesting but very sad things about this individual is that for many, many years, Junia, the woman's name, was translated as Junius, the male version of the name. Now, some people talk about cancel culture, and cancel culture is alive and well. We think this is a new thing. Actually not a new thing. Cancel <laughs> culture has always been a thing. And in fact, Junia has been canceled in some ways, even by Christian scholarship. Because there are some people, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to say it, there are some people who would prefer that a person of that caliber and influence be a man instead of a woman. And so the American Standard Version mistranslates her name. The Revised Standard Version mistranslates her name. The New American Standard Version, which I just read, mistranslates her name. And these are just a couple of examples um, of those who have translated Junia's name as Junius. But this is unequivocally incorrect. Junia was... And there's tons of historical information to back this up. I can't get into all of it, but there are um, Bible translations. The first 1,000 years of church history attest to this. There are Greek and Latin, Roman inscriptions that attest to this. We have all sorts of information. But not only was there a female apostle of the same rank as Paul himself, but Paul says she was a and she was outstanding among the apostles. Now, I don't know if there's anyone here who's really familiar with our history as Pentecostals. We have a lot of judias in our history. We have a lot of... Way- for the glory of the Lord. And so maybe there are some people here today that the Lord is kind of stirring your heart. And maybe there's a sense that there could be a calling of some sort on your life. Maybe you have no idea what that looks like in the future, but collectively as a church, we're going to call on those juniors and if the Lord calls them to it, we're going to support and encourage them in it. Amen. So here in Romans chapter 16, we have a number of these gifted, influential, and resourceful women who were just trailblazers. They were apostles and leaders and teachers in the early church, but some of these women have been just downplayed or mischaracterized or ignored within certain segments of Christianity. And there are some people who want to fixate on some of Paul's more challenging or problematic In Romans 16, Paul was promoting these women as important and influential women in the church. So if I just take a step back and I look at a passage like Romans 16, it becomes very clear that women and men partnered together in the ministry of the early church. It seems that Paul opened up doors for women in ways that were countercultural in that time and place. But not only so, what Paul also says, he was indebted to these women. He says so himself. Those are his words. And so we could examine some of those difficult passages in Paul's writing and look at some of the historical and cultural information and so on. But when I examine them side-by-side side, with passages like Romans chapter 16, elevates the contributions of these women, Phoebe and Priscilla and Junia. equal opportunity in ministry and leadership. And this is where the POC is at. And so, let me just speak to the elephant in the room for a moment. I'm not talking about any person, by the way. Don't get me wrong. But if we were to just say, well, maybe our biblical uh, interpretation is enough, I know that that's not enough for some people. I understand that some other people may not come to the same conclusions based solely on this Bible passage or that. So perhaps we need to broaden the conversation beyond simply a biblical understanding and also talk about our theological position as Pentecostals as well. So let me talk about point number two, the theological position. Now, Pentecostals, as you know, and this is the time of year where we're talking about Pentecost and emphasizing our Pentecostal position, Pentecostals have historically emphasized Joel's prophecy, foreshadowing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Joel chapter 2 indicates that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And this is what God's people were looking forward to in the New Testament. of course, And we know that after Jesus has ascended into heaven, and the followers of Jesus were gathered in the upper room together. And scripture tells us in the book of Acts that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in a place. And what happened? There was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting to be tongues of fire resting on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And it's important to notice in this season of Pentecost that our position of women in ministry is intricately connected with our theological understanding of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain. Pentecostals Believe that the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is available to all of the followers of Jesus to empower them to carry out his mission. And this is a theological, non negotiable for Pentecostals. We're not letting go of that anytime soon. <laughs> the Holy Spirit empowers people to do the work of the ministry. And so what we see in Scripture is that the sons and daughters of Joel, too, Filled with the Spirit in Acts 2. And this is an identity marker for Pentecostals. This is who we are. We live and move and walk in step with the Spirit. Our lives, our ministries, our families, our decisions, our morals, everything that we do is lived out according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that outpouring of the Holy Spirit doesn't end with empowerment. The Holy Spirit's work in our lives contributes to all sorts of things. We experience this overflowing fullness of the Spirit, don't we? A deepened reverence of God comes with that filling of the Spirit. A more active love for Christ. A passion for the lost. A commitment to serving Him well. All these things come along with this infilling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Can any of you attest to that in your lives? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And know, so I can personally attest to this. I was a teenager and I was just seeking the Lord in my life. And when I experienced this overflowing fullness of the Spirit, I can attest to this profound and deep love for God that It's not that I didn't love him before I did, but I didn't know the depth of love that could be experienced after I was filled with the Spirit. And all of a sudden, after being filled with the Spirit, I had this profound passion to reach lost people with the message of the gospel. I would wake up at night and just have to pray for you. Pray for people. Has that happened to any of you? Where someone is laid on your heart, you can't escape it, and you can just only pray. That's all you can do.
1: My desire to be
0: separate from the world and to live set apart for him just grew. And for me, and I know this isn't the case for everyone, but for me it was the beginning of a call. A call to ministry, a call to mission, a call to be set apart. And when the Holy Spirit filled me and empowered me for mission and enlivened my heart for his word of the church. My life was set on a new path. Amen. And at that point in my life, no one had to tell me. No one had to tell me that Pentecostals had written doctrine or positions on any of this. I had no idea. I didn't even know such things existed. But what I do know is that this is part of our lived experience as Pentecostals, that when the Spirit fills us, our lives are changed. This is what we know and have experienced. The Spirit comes and fills a person to overflowing and just enlivens their hearts and minds with the purposes of God. The Spirit empowers them for life and for service in God's kingdom. But you know what? We've got to lose. I just don't, I I don't hear, I mean, a big problem nationally, globally, because here's the thing, the Spirit is poured out equally on all flesh, Scripture says. The Spirit is poured out equally on women and men. The Spirit empowers women and men equally for ministry. The Spirit enlivens the hearts of women and men, giving them passion and purpose to reach people with the gospel. Unfortunately, this equal outpouring of the Spirit has not always translated into equal opportunities for ministry for women. And so what's the cause of this discrepancy? How do we address the challenge? If the Spirit is poured out on all flesh with the purpose of empowerment for ministry, and if there are no scriptural qualifiers for this outpouring It goes without saying that the Holy Spirit intended for women and men to be equal partakers of the Spirit and equal participants in his mission. Amen. Amen. Perhaps the most compelling argument theologically for the equal participation and equal access and ministry to both men and women alike is the equal outcome of the Spirit. And the flesh. Surely God has not empowered us to sit back not be a part of his kingdom mission. And guess what? Pentecostals are not about to let go of the emphasis on the spirit, are we? It is who we are. So, we've got biblical precedent. We've got theological precedent. But you know what?
1: As a Pentecostal,
0: I have deep, deep appreciation for our history and where we have come from. So there's a historical precedent as well. When I read Romans 16, it reminds me of all of the stories that I have read about early Canadian Pentecostalism, and if any of you have ever dabbled in that or read anything or, or explored that a little bit, what you will find out very, very quickly is that women are so deeply embedded through. So these were the Pentecostal uh, pastors, uh, the women of our earliest history, and they were not stepping back from a challenge. Let me like tell you, those ladies had to go into some of the most rugged, terrible situations. I mean, beautiful situations, <laughs> but they were rough. But those women were living with courage and passion and reliance upon the Spirit. Here's another photo on the screen. This is a photo of the Bethesda Pentecostal Bible College in 1939. Interesting to note that there were more women than men at that time. Women in our history as Pentecostals in Canada were always tasked with pastoral and missional and leadership roles. And here in Ontario, Ellen Hebden was a pivotal character in the development of the early Pentecostal movement in Canada. And these women are a part of who we are. They're a part of our history. And these women are known and remembered for living with courage and reliance upon God's call and the leading and empowerment of the Holy Spirit in their lives. What a legacy that we have as Pentecostals in Canada. And so when I look at our history, I see a Romans 16 situation where women and men were partnering together, using their gifts, actively pursuing their callings in many different ways. And they had the support of the church community All right. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Amen. So, biblical, theological, historical. Let me talk to you about one more angle that I would like us to think about just for a moment. It's the practical angle. Any of you just, okay, but like, well, what does this mean? Tell me what it means. I need the practical stuff. That's the way I think. Any of you think like that sometimes? I get it. I hear it. So, along with these other components, there's also a very practical piece. What I will lean into here is that Pentecostals are very pragmatic people. We're not the kind of people that I always just want to sit around and talk about it, you know? We are movers and shakers. Want to get stuff done, and historically, Pentecostals have been largely motivated by their missional thrust. And can I just, can I just humbly suggest that this is something we need to hang on to as Pentecostals? We cannot lose sight of the mission. What is it that we are trying to accomplish? But if you'll give me a second, just for just for a moment, let me talk about something else. The Canadian outlook is bleak when it comes to religion in Canada. And so, according to a Stats Canada study in 2019, over two thirds of the Canadian population reported having a religious affiliation of some sort. Anything, anything at all.
1: And just over
0: half reported that their religious beliefs were somewhat important or very important to how they live their lives. But this tells me that just under half of the population would not define spirituality as being important to how they live their lives at all. That is important for us to know. From 27 to 2019, 26% of the Canadian population define themselves as having no religion or being of a secular perspective. Further, while religious affiliation is experiencing a sharp decline in Canada, participation in religious activities has also experienced a decline. Now, let me just say, it's a beautiful thing to show up at church on a Sunday and see the house so full. Amen. It is so good to have you here and so good to see how many of you have brought your families here. But don't we know that there are many more people who need to be here? From 27 to 2019, only 18% of people born between 1980 and 1999 attended a religious gathering once a month. Okay, That's people my age. That's families with young children. That's families with teenagers. 18% attended once a month. Now, if only 18% of millennials attend once a month, do the math, that means on any given Sunday across all of Canada, only 4.5% of Canadians. Christian religious gathering. Now, if we look around, is that reflective of our communities, the places where you live? Is that reflective of our experience? Where are all the families with children? Where are they? They're not in church every Sunday. Only 4.5% of them are in church once a month. Where are they? Well, you know where they're at. They're at home, sleeping in. Or they're gone to the cottage, or they're out on their boat, or gone for a walk, or attending the child sporting event, or having a coffee, or anywhere at all, but church. But who are these people? We we talk about the numbers, but the numbers represent people. They are your neighbors. They are your friends. They are your family They are your sons and your daughters and all of these people that you know who need to know Jesus. When 95% of the population of people between age 20 and 40 are anywhere but church, we should be asking some hard questions, shouldn't we? So remember what I said right at the beginning, why are we talking about this? Why are talking about whether or not we belong in ministry? Well, you know what? Here we are. We are at a very, very dismal point in Canadian history. And all of these arguments, to some extent, are not the right conversations that we should be having. Please, can we focus on what is absolutely most important in our lives, in the church, and in the world, and it's people need to know who Jesus is. That is the question we should be asking. How do we share with them who Jesus is? With the thousands and hundreds of thousands of people all around us who need to know Jesus, why are we wasting time talking about who gets to participate in the spreading of the gospel? There is only one answer to that question, and it is absolutely everybody. Amen. Every single believer needs to be equipped and mobilized to spread the message of the gospel. to something greater, something deeper, and something higher. The question is, are we willing to go there with him? I'm going to ask Pastor Matt, the worship team, to come back, and they're going to be prepared to lead us in a song as we prayerfully reflect on what God is calling us to. But I want to issue a call to this congregation and others as well. First of all, as a church, Can we commit to supporting everyone, male and female alike, to be mobilized and equipped in their calling? Can we commit to supporting people in what God has called them to? There are so many negative voices out there in the world today that deter people, that disappoint people, that denigrate people, that distract people from what God has for them. That's not what we're about. We want to encourage people. We need to encourage people, commit to being the voice of affirmation and encouragement, one of support and inspiration, especially to women, especially to young people. And second, women, especially, but not only women, this is for everyone. I want to challenge you to never sell yourself short. Amen. Those women in the early years of our Pentecostal movement, they went out into the worst kinds of conditions. They had no idea what they were headed for, but they packed up and went to wherever God called them to. Why? Because they knew he was going to be faithful to them. And you know what? God is going to be faithful to you as well. Never sell yourself short. Don't rely upon yourself, but rely on the call of God because the Spirit will lead you and God will take you the distance. Do not succumb to the negative voices in our society and even sometimes in the church that limit you in any way. If you were to be limited in any way, it should never be by your own self-consciousness and second-guessing. It should not be by the negative voices and naysayers around us. The only limitation is the one that you place on yourself, and it's this, to never get ahead of the Lord. Don't go ahead. And discern the Lord's voice. And the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then to commit to following everything you've got. Everything that you've got. Maybe the Lord is calling you to that. Maybe there's something stirring in your heart and you don't even know what that means. Maybe the Lord is just calling you into a deeper experience of faith. Instagram Christianity is great, but it will never, never Maybe you need to go deeper. Maybe you need to get a bit more intentional about your study of Scripture, about digging into the Word, about your Christian lived experience. Maybe you need to invest a little more here. Maybe you've been a little disconnected, and you really need to plug in and get involved and be a part of things. How can you be more invested? And you know what? I'm not talking about a magically read your Bible, pray up, pray every day, and it all gets better. No, that's not what I'm talking. I'm calling you to be engulfed by the power of the Holy Spirit such that your entire person is transformed by the power of God. You can't do that yourself. That is a work of the Spirit in your life. But maybe God is calling you to be fully engulfed in Him, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. And And it could be. It could just be. The Lord has a very special call on your life and it is something unique and it is unique to you and I urge you to follow God's call. Commit your life, your career, your family, your education, your finances, your ambitions, everything. Give it to him. He will never disappoint you. He will never let you down. And you know what? Pentecostals true to the scriptural witness have always been people who... Affirm the call of God to leadership and ministry in the lives of women and men.